0: we have angelique and kip from smarter by nature
2: so we're going to be hanging out with
0: them for about an hour and talking to them about what they're doing and kind of what their journey's been so don't be shy feel free to ask questions please engage (laughs) there's no reason to not ask you know we're all right here so (laughs) so i'll just start it off with um tell me about who smarter by nature is and tell me a little bit about you guys individually and then how you came together
3: doing this, and just want to hear from the beginning. So, hello everyone, my name is Angelique.
2: And I'm Kip.
3: And we are the small-scale regenerative farmers and owners of Smarter By Nature. We are a local um, agriculture business located in Tallahassee slash Quincy, Florida and we grow produce for our local farmers market as well as provide education to our local and online community. Right now we grow on borrowed land. The total acreage is five and right now we're cultivating one acre. We grow seasonal vegetables like greens and tomatoes, cucumbers, also herbs and um, fruit trees.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and we uh, partner with other businesses in our community to provide other products um, like gourmet mushrooms. Oh, uh,
0: very
2: cool. To, um, pretty much underserved communities, communities that don't normally have access to that produce. That's where we take that food and we uh, serve it at.
0: Cool. So what is your guys' growing season typically? How many months out of the year are you able to farm and harvest?
2: Yeah, we're actually, uh, right now, we grow year-round. North Florida is a subtropical uh, growing zone, Zone 8B, and we have the opportunity to pretty much grow seasonal vegetables. Uh, We have, we almost have, like, two seasons, like, uh, pretty much, like, winter or, like, summer, because spring right now, our spring is really hot, like, right now, and um, we get our tomatoes, our eggplants our peppers our cucumbers and like some uh, alternative greens like our african greens we grow our peas those are like our spring slash summer crops and then uh our fall for our fall we grow like our um mustard greens our bok choy our collard greens our kales. pretty much like our brassicas um our radishes and our turnips those we plant in the fall and it rises through our winter and we also are able to harvest into the early spring. So our season's kind of join together, and um, that's how our growing cycle is.
0: Wow, that's great. sounds like you guys got it down. So how long have you been doing this?
2: We've been doing it. um, We've established our business in 2017. We started growing just in general actively in uh, 2015, and really we're still learning, but we're really aggressive with 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 our um with our actions, so we'll like learn a lot, we'll absorb a lot of information, read books, go on YouTube, ask questions, but we really we will put that implement those practices into our growing space, and through there we get different results, and we love to share those results with um like with our online community.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So for your online community, do you guys use your website more frequently, or do you tend to gravitate? Instagram to do your educational stuff um, like how are you getting your message across what do you think is the most useful platform for you guys
2: yeah for us right now Instagram is our most useful platform uh, YouTube is probably second um, yeah we just got a thousand subscribers that's like a milestone for us and um, but basically Instagram is where we ask a lot of or where, where we were one we ask people questions and we get a lot of questions asked on our page. We give engagement about the products that we use, the things that we make in our growing processes. Um, people tend to like those updates and that interactiveness a lot. Uh, again, I said YouTube was the second. And like our, our, our website by default is like we actively share on there. We also do a monthly newsletter. So, really, that's exclusively on our website. By signing up, you can get, like, recipes pretty much, um, news and the things that we have going on, and also different growing advice. So, we do, like, um, those are our three platforms that we engage with the most. And Facebook is, like, the fourth by default.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah, I love Instagram too. I find a lot of people that I can connect with and network that are interested in a lot of the same things that I are, and super inspirational too. Some of the things that you find on there, what people are doing, it's and they're super small communities, and they just have a huge reach on Instagram. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, absolutely. When we first started, um, it it felt like we were in a bubble, like it, it felt like or in a vacuum, like it, it seemed like nobody else was like doing it because we weren't as engaged with our online audience but um once we started posting more and especially the pandemic uh during that time when people started being more concerned about connecting we started Mm -hmm. seeing a lot more other people that were growing and that really opened our eyes to the online community even if it's not going on in your city the whole world is moving towards a more sustainable future.
0: Very cool. So tell me a little bit more about, oh gosh, squirrel, Um, (laughs) the borrowed land that you guys have. So are you guys um, like farming off-site from your residence and you're doing, are you just renting acreage?
2: Right now we're farming off-site uh, from our residence and it's it's like a 30-minute drive uh, to that space and um, we bring the vegetables to our local market. This has been like our first uh, full, like it's it's been like a year and a half since we first started growing this space. When we first started growing in general for markets, we were using like uh, our backyard, which we still are. We were using like lots around town. Uh, We managed and operated community gardens around town where we would bring produce to the market as well. But this is our first time being able to have like such a large space so one acre is what we're using right now and we're not like renting there's nothing formal which just we've teamed up with the elder in the quincy community and pretty much we were presenting about our business at famu and at famu which is a university agricultural university in in north florida um, there was an elder uh, miss dr ford and she was there she heard our message She liked our our passion and our vision, and she allowed us to, like, farm her space. She, the farm has been there for, uh, it's been a farm for 20 years, but it hasn't been used for 20 years. Like,
3: it
2: it, is, yeah, so we pretty much uh, are, like, reigniting the soil. Um, We're, like, remaking, reuse of, like, her greenhouse structure. It's just been sitting there for a long time. It's really Cool.
0: Cool. So what happened in 2017 that inspired you guys to take this big leap and decide that you wanted to be farmers and start selling in local markets?
3: (laughs) Well, it began um, just by doing a whole bunch of research, just intaking a lot of knowledge. And we started off by um, learning about permaculture. So Kip took an online permaculture class and I started learning about it. I study environmental science. So I already was um, wanted to be in the environmental field. So um, we started learning about permaculture, how to really design landscapes and use small spaces and learn how to use large spaces. So in 2017 was when we started to go to our community garden more frequently. We'll get up at 6 a.m. to ride our bike or walk to the community garden and we'll spend like all day there. We would make our own projects and we'll try to really implement what we learned. So we were spending so much time that we were like, okay, maybe we need to try to turn this into a business so we can make a living since we love to do this so much. And we were learning that people around the world were making a living, making a profit. So we wanted to try our hand at growing and getting into the agriculture field. So it was like all the knowledge coming in and we wanted to utilize that.
0: That's great. What did you guys do prior to taking this on? Um,
2: Prior to that, we were students. Uh, we lived a student life. My major was sociology. Hers was environmental science. Um, she was the manager at the, um, for the Frenchtown Farmers Market. Um, and then uh, me, I did like various art projects in my community. Um, and uh, we had no background in agriculture, but we found our interest through gardening. And, um, That's so what cool.
0: Did. What were some of the first uh, plants that you guys tried to farm and harvest?
2: Uh, I think the first plant that we tried to really farm and harvest were um, collard greens, uh, and, and they did uh, really well for us here in the south. Um, what what else were some first ones?
3: Um, I was thinking sunflowers. Um, that was one thing that we we were we really loved flowers, and we wanted to incorporate um like the pollinators into our space so
2: yeah, and we also uh we don't do it anymore, but we used to sell microgreens, um so we grew uh-huh. microgreens um for about three years. We actually just stopped last year, so we started selling microgreens in two thousand and seventeen, and it was just we were doing it from home. Nobody was doing microgreens in Tallahassee in our small city. So we wanted to get the first jump on it and just provide another um, alternative in terms of nutrition at our market. So that those are some of the first crops we grew
0: Cool. Are you guys a two-person team or do you have help with all of this?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, we are a two-person team. We do everything, the answering messages, administration, graphic wow. design, all of it, content. And also, like, the on-field work, we, we have the tools in our hands, and we get it going. We also have volunteers that uh, come out and help us on Sundays. Uh, so every Sunday morning, volunteers come out, and so that's a huge help as well. And we're probably going to be putting a call out for, like, more volunteers. Um, we don't, like, have a house on a space that we grow at, so we can't, like, house interns like we want to, but those are things we're looking forward towards in the future.
0: Cool. So you guys are first-generation farmers, then. (laughs) Where do you see taking Smarter by Nature in the future?
2: Uh, I I see Smarter by Nature as creating, like, a more consolidated platform for young people or people of all ages to get into growing. Uh, We really want to create, facilitate sustainable relationships between, like, people in the natural environment. So we want to be able to create educational systems for people to like learn about the process of growing so that they can grow at home and so that they can know how to support other people.
0: Cool. you guys have any big goals that you're trying to crush for 2021?
3: Well, right now, we just want to have a great season. We've been taking care of all of our seedlings and we're anticipating kind of a hot summer. So we like try to plan out the crops that will most thrive in our area. So we're just looking forward to a good end of spring and summer season. We're planting watermelon. This is the most watermelon we've grown and also um, African spinaches, because they really are tolerant of the heat and they produce a lot. So we're just really looking forward to having a good market season.
0: Do you guys do this full time for your job?
2: Uh Yeah, uh, right That's now great. we do, it. yep, yep, yep.
0: I think it would, I think we've heard a lot of people talking about how hard it is to be profitable full time and take farming and marketing and stuff to be able to go with that. I know it's a lot of people's dreams, but they're like, oh, we have to do this alongside that. So how do you guys manage doing that? Just you save costs on doing things on your own or?
2: Yeah, we save costs by doing things on our own. A lot of the money that we get does go back into the business and like we're growing towards more profit. As our business becomes more uh, consolidated, uh, like I said earlier, we would go from space to space to space, and each year that would create its own challenges because, like, we would start growing immediately while we're like setting up our space in order to like get income for the materials that we need. But uh, as we're getting older and like wiser in our process, uh, we are getting like more support and understanding, like what crops. That do best in our area and what crops like turn the most profit, and like we're getting our timing down. So it's like building and like we're definitely growing towards profit.
0: So, do you guys, did you just figure all of this out trial and error along with books that you read? I mean, how did you get the timing down and you know what grows at the, the right temperatures and the peak times and all of that? And just you know, it hasn't been very long. It seems like you guys have learned so much in this short amount of time
2: yeah um, I mean, all we do honestly is like read and research. It sounds crazy, but like that's literally all we do, but um like we love I mean, we love reading and we love learning. We also link up with other growers in our area and we talk about some of the growing patterns and challenges that they face, and like we just share information and in exchange with our community. That helps us out a lot, but a lot of it is just trial and error. Um, We tend to like grow, we don't really, we'll grow like a lot of things at once. And one of the things we're learning how to do is to like, we're trying to find our prime selection. We're trying to find like the crops that really do well for us specifically based on how much time we want to spend in the field, how much profit we want to make, how much we want to produce. But having the diversity of crops in the early on stages, allows us to take a lot of notes real fast and to see what works versus like only doing like generic things that may not work for everybody.
3: Right. And in addition, we talk with each other a lot. So we get to kind of synthesize the information after we are finished binge watching on YouTube. Yeah. We we might like a few days only looking at uh, how to increase the microorganisms in the soil and then we'll like dive straight deep into that and then we'll just talk about it so much and really it's it's the talking with each other talking with our other friends and farmers that helps us along the journey Like, uh, like we said this is still the beginning for us we have a lot to learn but uh, we're just trying to implement it as
2: we go
0: have you guys heard of the e-community before i reached out just curious
2: we haven't heard of the e-community before
0: cool well maybe you guys can find some use of some of the videos and webinars that we have up on our sites that that might be helpful
2: absolutely um
0: so what about getting back to your guys actual farm you said it had been abandoned for 20 years and then you kind of got there and started picking up the pieces so let's kind of dive into the regenerative agriculture part of it all and i want to hear about what you had to do to get the soil ready to get all the crops growing what you had to learn about the health of the soil along the way
2: (laughs) yeah so uh, what what we did immediately was uh, we got a soil test from uh, our IFACE Extension Office in Florida, but it didn't give us like any uh, alarming results. Um, we ha- we know that we have sandy soil in our space. So water, uh, water management is a thing because there's like a high porosity in our soil. So we have to make sure that we retain moisture if we don't wanna be like watering every day. Um, also, we are, because it's a sandy, because it's sandy soil, we have to be considerate about the minerals that we put in, that we use to feed our plants and our microorganisms, and we just have to make sure that we that those are like the two foundations, water and like minerals for our plants. So we do things to conserve that, like storing carbon in our space. Um, we use hay, decomposed hay, and we put that in our space. Um, and they say that for every three inches of rainwater that falls when you cover your space with carbon with like hay and straw it retains one inch of water for future use uh we're concerned about the microbial activity in our soil and um pretty much preparing our soil is like the first thing that we do we use we don't use synthetic fertilizers um we use like uh we use molasses because that's what's accessible in our space we use like leaf mold uh which is like korean natural farming Uh, We use worm castings, like different like organic methods like that. That's what we use to uh, feed our plants. And that's really the foundation for us having a strong season.
3: Right. And when we first um, got to the farm, we immediately started making permanent raised beds. Uh, We heard about that technique from John Martin Fortier and we figured it might help in our space just because it was so sandy and we wanted to implement no-till practices. We wanted to make our beds one time just because it was the two of us and we didn't want to recreate the beds and reshape them over and over. So Mm -hmm. that's what we did first um, as well as um, add Carbon to our space. We learned a lot from Ruth Stout and her no dig gardening methods. And basically, her method is using hay to feed the soil and to smother weeds and to store moisture. So, we do a lot with combining different techniques, and I think that really helps us out.
2: Yeah, we, we found the common, one of the common denominators through all our learning uh, vectors was to keep your soil covered. So that's something that we uh, are really into this year. We're moving away from like using hay in our space and we're moving towards using cover crops more. So that's something that we just started uh, last year and it's something that we look forward towards uh, continuing, but just different methods pretty much about keeping our soil covered.
0: Very interesting. What do you guys do to combat like the bugs and the weeds?
2: Uh, It's all a learning process. And yeah. it, it's definitely a spectrum because we have, we're like, we're not trying to, we're not one of those farmers that are trying to like eliminate all of the weeds in our space and we don't want to eliminate all the bugs in our space. But but we do want to preserve our crops. So what we do is we kind of have like a sliding scale, like a spectrum of tolerance, or like a threshold of acceptability in our space. Now, when it comes to bugs, we're actually very aggressive. So um, we'll like spend time really early in the morning Making sure there's no like tomato hornworms on our tomato plants. Uh, We'll check our college for aphids, um, and like we'll just check check our plants. Really, really just checking our plants. We do use uh, Bt um, Bacillus thuringiensis for our crops, like early on, to like help fight off any worms, any like caterpillars that may appear in our crops. Um, We're looking towards like using like neem oil for our fruiting crops. But outside of that, it's just really hand-picking and just being on top of your plants. Um, and in terms of weeds, we usually have like weeding sessions, uh, maybe around like three times in the season, like one at the beginning of the spring, one at the kind of like the end of the summer, and then one like uh probably like mid, mid, like in the end of fall, beginning of winter.
3: Right. And in addition to that, we're looking forward to creating our own uh, fertilizers and pesticides um, using Jadam Natural Farming, just using um, strong smelling herbs. We've experimented with using garlic, uh, like a pound and a half of garlic, boiling it down and making like a concentrated substance and uh, we'll dilute that in water and we spread it on our crops um, last season and that trial run did really well. So we're looking at like making our own pesticides just to make sure that um, we can, it's cost effective for us and it's harmless to the plants and environment.
0: Do you guys keep, you keep saying that you've done all these trial runs and everything and I'm like, gosh, I would, I don't think I'd be able to remember last year what did well and what didn't. So do you keep a log or how do you maintain all your data and be able to tell like any trends along the way?
2: Yeah, keeping a log is crucial um, and so we have like a notebook. We take notes about like what crossed did well and also like we just talk a lot throughout our process. Like, oh, remember, Remember how this did last year, remember how this did this year, Um, this, let's see, last year, at the end of the season, like one of our challenges for, it was, it happened to us for the first time ever, and that's the only time it was going to happen, but we had such a crappy season with like our fall winter crops and like our brassicas, usually we grow beautiful greens, beautiful collars, some kale, arugula, and all that. But um, something happened, like with our growing pattern, where we didn't like account for the sun in the wooded area that we've never used before, Um, and we were using our greenhouse. But because we didn't get our plants out to harden off in time, it kind of stagnated them for the whole season. So we didn't have like strong uh, greens as much as we wanted to. We topped those greens down, and they're actually growing up like good and strong right now. But that's just something that we learned, like in our in just in in a new location, it was like last minute we didn't have time to like analyze the space as we have wanted to. We had to make a last minute choice. This greenhouse happened to be there in this wooded space, and like at the end of the summer, it was looking real nice. but uh, in our fall season, the summer, the sun like goes lower in the horizon really fast, so we just weren't able to adapt fast enough, but it had such an impact on our growing season that we know not to do that next season, so that's kind of like how we take it um those are like major things that happen the smaller things is like seeing which varieties of crops do better than the last um and that helps with our crop selection over time that we're trying to refine okay
3: and also interacting on social media taking pictures and videos also really help us along the way because we can like look back and say oh this is what this was us last year this was us last yeah. year yeah so
2: true so true
0: that does yeah that would help so you guys mentioned that you guys have some people in your community that you can ask questions to and kind of collaborate with um and you guys have a mentor that you really look up to in the area or anyone overall just in the in the field at all
2: um not like in that area specifically um there is one farm that's like around the corner from us called Fuller farm katie and Erin, they've been farming for 12 years and um, they don't. We don't use all of the same methods, um, but we can still learn a lot from them in terms of like where crops like do well, and in terms of the timing. And like it's it's tough because we're trying to like put ethics into our our profit based business. So it's like tough because everywhere we go, it might be like one or the other, but not necessarily both of them combined. So um, right now uh, the Jadam Organic Farming book uh, by uh, Young Sun Cho, uh, that's that's really helping us out in terms of like a a new perspective when it comes to like being profitable as a business, but also um, taking care of the soil and taking care of the environment in the process. And like in that book, so really that's like our, our mentor right now. But in that book, it talks about the S E S E process. It says that, um, growing food should be simple, efficient, scientifically proven and effective. So like, those are like the foundations for like small scale farmers. And it's saying that it's definitely possible to take care of your environment and your soil in the process. And, um, the, that's like one of the books that's like our mentor. We have like virtual spiritual mentors. Right. Uh, our first mentor, per se, was um, Masanobu Fukuoka. Uh, he was the guy, he, um, uh, the one star revolution, and in this picture, the natural way of farming, he pretty much um, left his job as a micro, as a soil biologist in Japan, and he took up his uh, father's land, which was seven acres, and he pretty much created a system of like using cover crops and like growing in his space, but also providing vegetables and fruits for his market. So that was like one of our first mentors. Uh, Curtis Stone was one of our first mentors because he was like the only person at the time giving so much information about how to grow in urban environments. So before we moved to a large space, we were finding out how to do it in our backyard and how to do it in our friends' backyards. So, like, each person kind of gave us information that we needed along the way. So,
0: you did some farming in friends' yards prior
2: to starting this? Yeah. um, We we used our own yards. Yeah, we used our own yards. Um, We used our friends' spaces. And um, it's been pretty cool. Uh, A lot of those projects might not still be going on if, like, our friends moved and stuff. But when we first started, yeah, when we first started, that's what we had to work with. And it was really cool.
0: Sounds like you got a good support system then.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: When you guys were in college, is this what you thought you'd be doing at this point in your life?
3: Well, I knew that I wanted to have like a job outdoors. I didn't know necessarily how that was going to look. Before I went to college, I thought I was going to be like a wetland scientist or uh, something that someone who preserves ecosystems in some way. So, I didn't necessarily think I was going to grow food and grow plants, but this is right up my alley and I love it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and um for me, I had no idea that I was going to be doing this. Um but once I took to it, it seemed like a no-brainer. Uh agriculture is so diverse and there's many aspects and uh avenues to get into it, so I really appreciate the flexibility that exists in the agriculture space to cater towards whatever like my designs and patterns are.
0: Yeah. Man, I envy you guys. I I am the queen of houseplants. However, <laughs> I don't have any kind of agriculture or food gardens or anything at my house. And um, every year I'm super interested and I hear about everything that's working for everyone. Like you guys are having this great success. And then we had somebody on a couple weeks ago who was doing great with polyculture paddocks. And there's just so many different approaches. Sometimes they can get overwhelming. Like, man, what should I try, you yeah. know? Yeah. So selfishly, I'm gonna ask as a beginner who may be interested, like, what would you recommend to just kind of get started to literally get my toes in the dirt?
3: <laughs> right. So. I'd say start with a container gardens that that means you can get about five pots or so and find a sunny location. Um, There's easy things to grow. You can start with herbs like basil, oregano, cilantro, and um, herbs are really great because you can make teas with them. They purify the body. They're antiviral, antibacterial. So those are some plants that can give you encouragement along the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, You can also grow small greens like lettuces. Those are really great. They don't need a lot of space to grow. Um, on our story right now, I posted about how I grew lettuces in cardboard boxes and we had, we get cardboard boxes from, um, delivering mushrooms to our farmer's market every Saturday. So we just have all this cardboard and we wanted to do something with it and we needed uh, like more beds to grow. So we just figured, how about we just throw some soil in here, throw some seeds. Yeah,
2: so so pretty much just getting containers that you need, small right. containers, uh, and putting that in, in any sunny location you have. That's like the easiest way And then the next venture out is looking outside of your home into your community and see if there's any community gardens in your area and getting directly involved in that or bugging your city about starting one. So
0: I just want to prompt the audience if anybody else has any questions before I keep going. And Mark, I don't want to be taking it away. So if you have anything that you want to mention, feel free to jump in at any time. Mark's behind the scenes.
1: um yeah i have a question like um when you guys first uh started um was there any anybody that um you kind of thought of um someone like a mentor i, I know you mentioned someone but what um who, like you mentioned someone that uh that is mentoring you right now and some of the books you mentioned but is there a person in the beginning that you um, I, up.
2: I, I would say maybe the first person was a guy named uh Sundi Yada at the community garden that we used to volunteer at. He allowed us the space to even do whatever we wanted. This community garden, it sat on, um, I think it was like an acre. It may be like, I think it was like an acre total. And uh, it was in the middle of the Frenchtown area in our city. And pretty much uh, about one-third of that space was not used at all. It was like wooded and not used. And at the time, I was learning about permaculture and I was like, yo, we could do all, all our permaculture principles in this space. So he was like, have at it. And um, that really allowed us to like do what we wanted. He allowed us to go whenever we want, grow whatever we want, try whatever we want. And like even that experience in itself helped us a lot. So he was like our first... Tangible mentor in, in terms of that launch off uh, stage for like getting our uh, feet in the ground. Right.
1: And okay. And and there's one more question. Um, on the on the business side, like I um I wonder, how do you make money? Um, do you sell to your neighbors or uh, farmers market or do you supply to restaurants
2: or stuff like that? yeah so when we were growing microgreens we were supplying to local restaurants in our space that was our plan once the pandemic hit a lot of restaurants shifted how they ran their business and that affected like our microgreens production but right now we sell to our um local community through our farmers market so that's like the main place where people could come to the local farmers market and they could like buy our fresh produce Uh, we sell every saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., um, and we've been doing that since, uh, I think, 2018, we've been doing that. Uh, we also uh, provide fresh vegetables on our online market as well called Red Hills Online Market, and that's for people who want their produce delivered to them or if they just want to pick up their produce, uh, they, they can. it's like a pickup location. So those are like the two main markets that we do right now, and now that things are mellowing out, We're about to, uh, we have a few restaurants that are interested in supporting us as soon as our seasonal vegetables come in.
1: Awesome. Uh, That's all the questions I had. I'll ask you some more later. Uh, Let's see if we have questions from the audience. I think I see one. Um, Do you see it, Sierra?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to enlarge it. Okay, so we have one here. How did you sustain yourselves while you were getting started? I.e. was there no produce to sell and you were still learning? So um,
3: when we first started, we I was working um, other jobs and we'll use that money to fund our um, business ventures and we'll just try to be cost effective, yeah, um, try to see if there's materials that are already available or free um
2: yeah, and we um we opened up a business account, yeah. we opened up a line of credit, and we like we swiped our credit card for like our essential materials that we need, um, and like we're not debt free right now, but we will be this year, like in terms of our business, so that's gonna be a milestone for us, just being able to pay off our debt from the credit that we use in order to establish our business. So those are like the two ways. It's the money that we initially saved for ourselves um, because we didn't have nothing to have. Like, like right now we have a Patreon account. So people send us money and they support us and they help us out. uh, Patreon smarter by nature if anyone's interested. But when we didn't have that in the beginning, we just had to use our own money that we saved uh, prior to that, um, that our family may have given us or that, um, And and our line of credit as a business, we had to um, pay for essential materials to start off with like soil mix and containers. That was like the first thing. Soil mix containers, basic tools, water holes. Those are like the first things that we spent our our money on in order to like get started. And then we started growing microgreens. And that's like a quick crop where you can get a quick uh, form of income, like quick. So that's that's what we started uh, doing in order to get established.
0: Wow. So when you guys first took this leap, were you like, oh, my gosh, this is a huge risk? Or did you know that everything was going to work out just based on everything that you learned along the way?
2: Yeah. Um. It's like we didn't go – we didn't spend over $5,000 initially to get started. So we knew that as long as it was under that, that over time we can pay that off. So it wasn't, we weren't thinking super risky, like, yo, we're gonna, we didn't buy farmland. We didn't like say, all right, we're going all in. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't that much of a risk. So we had more mental space to be able to just grow towards our our goals. Um, We are looking to get our own land uh, really soon. And we had to create a plan for profit and then get our system. So that's something, our, our big leap is yet to come. And um, all of the information we've been learning is leading us towards that. But initially we just made small investments. We made small risks that we knew we could manage. And I mean, selling microgreens, you sell at two to three markets and we're selling like um, up to $200 um, at a given day. So that was around, uh, like that's actually around 1600 a month that just off of selling microgreens at two markets uh, for, uh four weeks out of the month so it, it was it's not it, it wasn't super crazy um and also us working with the other business to sell the mushrooms uh, right now Yeah,
0: talk about the mushrooms um, um I've been seeing some cool pictures on here things I've never seen before and I want to hear about it
2: <laughs> yeah so initially we actually started growing our own mushrooms uh at home we were like You and other people, like, man, there's so much things for us to do. What to start with? Or what can we grow? And we were watching so much stuff. So microgreens, uh, urban farming, mushrooms. And we were just trying our hands at all of it to see what worked for us. And we started with blue oyster mushrooms, like what y'all see in this picture. And uh, it's something that you can grow at home very easy. But we quickly realized that in order to scale up, we needed to really uh, depend on our community and order like somebody else who does that full time because mushrooms can be its own full-time job. So I have a friend named Josh, he owns a business called PlayStation Like Mushrooms, and we partner with him and um we get his mushrooms and we sell it at our local market. He sells on the north side of town, um, and he also mainly sells to restaurants. So people in the community that we sell these mushrooms at, they wouldn't normally have access to these mushrooms. And uh, for us to be able to bring it there, it's just an opportunity for ourselves and for like those people to learn more about healthy foods. Mushrooms are super healthy. They provide adequate amount of vitamin D. They're high in protein and they're super easy to work with. They're also um, antibacterial, so they really help fortify our immune systems. And it's really something that we really like to add with everything else we sell. So where
0: did you start growing them? Did you do them indoors, outdoors when you first started?
2: Yeah, we did them indoors at first. Uh, we did a little bit of everything. We've, we've done them, um, like when we first, we're renting a house right now. And when we first rented our house, we had an extra room. In that extra room, we turned it into like a oyster mushroom grow room. Uh, we had the lights. Every, we had everything we needed. And then once that once we outgrew that, we took it to a greenhouse in our backyard. And the greenhouse oh. helped us keep like a more... Humid environment uh for the oyster mushrooms oyster mushrooms they're uh called primary saprophytes so they're aggressive decomposers that means that it's real easy to grow them because they have an aggressive appetite they eat a lot of different stuff so super easy to grow oyster mushrooms and um that's pretty much how we started even sometimes now we'll take the, like the end cuttings the stem butts from the mushrooms and we'll like throw it into our compost pile. And get mushrooms growing, so it was really easy to get into it and to get started.
0: Cool. So you mentioned wanting to expand and getting some land of your own, maybe in the future. So if risk and money and farm hands weren't a problem and issue at all, what would your dream kind of farm and agricultural space look like?
2: Um, it would be about. It would start off with like five to ten acres. And um, we'd have actually a fruit orchard. Um, So that's something we're learning about now. Uh, Somebody gifted us, one of our Instagram followers gifted us like a ton of uh, big cuttings that are doing really well in like uh, elderberry trees. So we have a lot of trees right now in our backyard, like in small pots that are going to need new homes in the next year or two. And we're like, yo, we want to do this. Um, we also are really interested in like growing persimmon fruit. That's like a undervalued fruit, under marketed fruit. They, if you look on the USDA, like there's a lot of information about persimmons that it may be like a crop of the future. So um, we're really into seeing what fruits, like perennial fruits go well in our environment. And we think that that's a niche market for growers that have access to the space is growing perennial crops in your area it fortifies your growing process because uh perennial fruits they have a longer like season a longer growth cycle so it's like less stress on the person but you can harvest that and you can create value-added products by creating dehydrated stuff you could create jams and jellies it's different things that you can do so um in the ideal world we have our fruit orchard And we do like alley cropping or agroforestry. And we have like our annual, key annual vegetables in between the rows of our orchard crops. Um, That's probably what it would look like. Anything to
0: add, Angelique?
3: Probably some chickens. Uh, (laughs) uh, Last year we had some volunteer chickens actually walk onto our farm and like check us out so they were so cute and we love chickens but right now we don't live there so we can't like take care of farm animals but we'll like to uh, incorporate more uh, animals into our land and um yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the fruit trees.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for your guys' future. It sounds like you got some fun things coming. Thank you. Thank you. How do you think, or did it at all, did the pandemic impact your market? Um, I'd say that
3: it really refocused us. Um because microgreens used to be one of our main focuses, and we realized that we wanted to grow more long term crops, things that can grow back by themselves or reseed. And we realized that uh, microgreens took as much time as growing other plants, so we had to shift our focus, and that really aligned with the reason why we got started in the first place. It came from really a more long-term vision and microgreens was like a point. And so it the pandemic, pandemic kind of helped us uh, refocus on selecting the crops, our niche crops that will really help us maintain our business over the long term. And um ways that we could create value-added products from them
0: that's interesting so we had some someone on from la compostable and they were talking about how it essentially did had a positive impact on them too where it just brought everybody in the community together and it's always just interesting to hear how kind of a negative thing can help people along in their journey
3: right
2: absolutely absolutely
0: what was one of the challenges that you guys had that you overcame that was a headache and now you can look back and laugh at (laughs) Um,
2: it was had to be uh, hands down uh have the deer eating our crops last year Yeah, that took the cake because we had, like, such a great season. Um,
0: oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, last, last spring and summer, we had an absolutely wonderful season. And those crops should have rolled us into our fall season as well, like, especially our fruiting crops, like our eggplants. Um, we had, like, okras, sweet potatoes. We thought we were going to grow a ton of sweet potatoes, but the deer devoured that. And that was our first time dealing with wild animals. Because remember, we came from an urban space and we found the value of a fence. And that's something that uh, we invested in. So we purchased a fence around our growing space. And now we can just look back and laugh and know that the deer won't be eating our crops this year. It's almost crazy because now it's like we have the liberty to regrow those crops that we tried. And um, I, I think that's one of the challenges. And now we know, Whenever we get a rural space, that if we care about certain crops, that we need to protect it.
3: Right, and the timing of everything was, I guess, on time because uh, the deer eating our crops and COVID kind of came together, and that provided more opportunity for grants and local farmers. So we were able to um, get our fence. to be established. At first, we thought we were going to have an electric fence, and we're going to put it up ourselves, but we were fortunate enough to um, have that put up
2: for us. Yeah, so now we have like an eight-foot metal fence, and it's, it's working really well so far.
0: Oh, yeah, I was going to ask about that, because I've seen a deer, you know, clear fence. <laughs> right. So, and it's an eight foot
2: fence i guess that would do the trick <laughs> yeah. yeah it's eight feet and it's crazy because our friends that we mentioned earlier who are like our mentors they live who were farming for about twelve years they lived around the corner from us they had an eight foot fence as well but it was made out of some type of plastic and they drove up to their farm early in the morning they saw deer they surprised the deer and the deer ran through the fence like through the eight foot plastic fence mm-hmm. Um and then it it ran all around the farm and then it ran back out. So they had like two holes that they had to fix. And oh, um man. yeah, ours is metal. So I said, man, if any, if deer jump over this, somebody call the circus. <laughs> they um, earned yeah.
0: that. They earned that dinner at that point. They, right, are, they
2: right. earned it at that point. We also like when when we went through that problem, we asked all of like our our followers on Instagram and our community members, like yo. What are some of the best methods you all have? And we got all type of tips like having a um, motion detected uh, radio to play sounds or like play ribbons. ribbons and peanut butter on the electric fence and all type of stuff. But the A-foot fence is just like the most secure method for like security. So did that take a long time to put
0: in place? Um,
3: it took about. Around three months to get it, like, from contacting them to getting it finished.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so we got about ten minutes left here. Um, I'll ask one more question, and then we'll see if the audience has anything, and then Mark, if you want to jump in. So, I want to ask a question individually for you guys both to answer. Um, so, what is the success that you're most proud of with Smarter by Nature?
2: Well, I would say. The success that we're most proud of is the progress that we've made in our, uh, in the cultivation of our space to know that like we're growing on the acre of land and to see it being cultivated from the time that we started. When we first got to that farm, it was like grass up to our chest, like all over. We were scared. We wore big boots and we were scared to even walk out there and to, (laughs) to look around and see like everything sectioned out. And to, like, see that there's a system starting to come together, to me, that's, like, a huge success for me.
3: And for me, I am so glad that I get the opportunity to uh, see the life cycle of plants. I never grew anything, really, before I started gardening. And to know that over time, I can, like, acquire the skills to grow and share that knowledge with people who have never grown before who was in my same position. So I'm proud that I can grow different plants or I can learn how to grow different plants and try to understand that process. Very
0: good. So, talk about the education a little bit more, if you guys don't mind. I'm sure you're educating your community members and people like me and our listeners, but what else do you do to, where's your reach, I I guess?
2: Yeah, um, we do, uh, I mean, uh, prior to the pandemic, we were going to, like, uh, we had, like, Community Healing Day in Tallahassee, and we worked with, like, the youth, with young kids, um, talking about just the seed process, how to grow a seed, how to um put plants into the ground. We've um we presented multiple times at our agricultural university at FAMU and at the time when we we're growing mushrooms at home, we we're teaching other people like the benefits of mushrooms in your diet and um like how anybody can do it. We were presenting uh in the environmental science department at our school. So just different really pretty much presenting at universities. And community events we accept volunteers in our space so volunteers come out every Sunday uh, and they get hands-on experience we're going to have more days opening up as the season progresses so that's like a, a way that people can like have tangible experience with us and then of course sharing every, all of our information online and um, like via YouTube and Instagram right
3: and then as we uh, get more of our system together, we will want to um, have classes and courses online that way people across the world can really see what our growing methods are and we can share those with them as well.
0: Cool, cool. Well, maybe you guys to think about doing a course for us. If you have a specific topic that you're super interested in or really passionate about, maybe do you know three or four sessions on it. That would be awesome.
2: so lack of plan. <laughs> something
0: to think about, something to think about. So um, do we have any more questions from the audience? We got about five minutes left if you guys have any cool questions for these guys and what they're doing. Um, otherwise, Mark, I'll let you kind of say anything that you have before we end it out.
1: Okay, um, I see th- there are a couple of questions from Smita, and I I don't know if you already addressed those. Uh, see that. Uh, okay, so um, uh, do you do you also use greenhouse um, or do you grow all year round? Uh, how do you grow mushrooms? I think you touched on all of these. Uh, do they grow on a substrate like wood
2: logs yeah um the mushrooms right now the of, just to give you an insight about how the mushrooms are grown that we sell they're grown indoors on like substrate on substrate blocks but when we first started we were using a uh, um we were using a, a pasteurization method uh where we'd pasteurize straw in hot water on top of our stove and we get like straw, put in the pillowcase, boil it for an hour and 30 minutes, make sure the temperature is uh, no higher, like around 170 degrees. Uh, And then we would create like a lasagna with the mycelium, the substrate. We use gypsum and um, we put them into like these two bags and we tie it real tight, poke holes in an X pattern, put tape over it and hang it in our area the mycelium it would uh colonize the substrate and then it would burst through the holes and um uh, that's how we grew our mushrooms when we first started
1: so one last question um what is the best way to get in touch with you um is the website um enough i mean <laughs> have a contact form anything like that or is there any other way
3: so, the best way to get in contact with us is um, through our email, and that's smarterbynaturedesign at gmail.com. You could um, find us on our Instagram at smarterbynature or our website, uh, smarterbynature.org.
2: Yeah, but the, the the best way is the email and the Instagram, though.
1: Cool. I'll have those. Um... With the, the replays that we have, and um, we have compliments uh, from our audience. You guys were awesome. So over to you, Sierra. All
0: right. Well, I just want to thank you guys again. I'm so glad I made this connection with you on Instagram. Like I said, everything that you were doing on there is so inspiring. And one day I'm going to start a garden. Once I stop yeah. being overwhelmed by all of the options.
2: Um, so just thanks again for coming on and I'll let you guys kind of say any final thoughts and we'll close it out. Awesome. Thank y'all so much. Um, feel free to. uh, Instagram, hit us up on our website, uh, YouTube smarter by nature TV, and then our Patreon smarter by nature, reach out to us, let us know what you you guys are doing and we appreciate y'all for having us.
0: Yes. Thank you. Our story with you all. All right. Thank you, Angelique and Kip. And if you ever want to do any more work with us, just send me an email or write me on Instagram. All right.
3: Sounds great.
0: Yeah. Have a good one, guys. You You too. too. Bye. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed
1: that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future. And we look forward to seeing you again. the Eat Community Podcast.